season to step up. Everyone say, a season to step up. Not to sign up for more activities, because we're all busy enough, right? Oh, my goodness. Probably too busy. That's kind of most of our season. Um, but a season to step up, meaning we're going to make an intentional step up to recapture the character and the influence of the early church. And so we've been looking at the birth of the early church and uh, maybe some, some lessons about the character that the early church had. Um, that maybe some we have kind of lost along the way, but I think will be vitally important uh, for not only for us to survive, but for us to thrive and achieve our God-given purpose and destiny um, in this time and age. And because times are getting crazy. Uh, and the time is growing short, and we want to be ready, and we want to be full of all the life that God has given us, and we want to see his kingdom grow and then expand here on the Central Coast. So does anyone remember the theme scripture for a season to step up? Acts? Well, it's in Acts, yes. Thank you, Mihai. Chapter 2, thank you, Elias. Acts 2.42, yes. Let's all read this together. They devote to prayer themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we talked about that that's not a list of four things, but a list of two things. The apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. And we started to unpack the idea that the early church recognized that true spirituality requires fellowship. God doesn't anoint vagabonds and lone rangers and men and women on their own program doing their own thing. That true spirituality is connected in fellowship to the family of God. Now, that might be here. That might be another local church. That can be any kind of... It's not about endorsing an organization. It's about a reality that the church is a body, and you are members of it, not like a membership card, but a member as in flesh and blood. You're part of the body. True, spiritual, true spirituality is always connected in fellowship with the body. Um, and also that true fellowship represented by the breaking of bread, that's dinner parties for those of uh, you in 21st century America. Um, true fellowship has Jesus at the center. Um, and we talked about that we can keep, have fun and lots of shared interests and all that's good and well, but as the family of God, as the people of God, we should never miss an opportunity to build, when we build our friendships and when we hang out to keep Jesus at the center. The true fellowship to keep Jesus there for one another and the way we accomplish what God has us here to do is to keep Jesus at the center of our fellowship. And so there were four lessons leading up to today. Uh, lesson number one, can anyone remember the title? This was the first week in April after Easter. It's okay. Do I really expect you to, to remember everything I teach? No. It's okay. Uh, there's something in the waiting. We recognize that part of the character of the early church is they were patient and obedient in their waiting. Jesus asked them to wait for the Holy Spirit. He didn't say wait for three days. He didn't tell them all that was going to happen. He just said wait, and they waited. 
It was this kind of childlike obedience to wait and trust in the Lord. And that opened up the opportunity for God to do what he was going to do. We have to learn in, in a great way through them. Um, so, uh, and many of us, we have to learn how to wait. Next part, part two, was to the streets. And we talked about the idea that when Jesus accomplished his work at the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom in the temple. And it tore from top to bottom, not because everyone could now come into the temple to the presence of the Lord. It was so that the presence of the Lord, which had been kept in a tent, a holy tent, so to speak, a temple, where only certain people could come in and out, that veil ripped because now the Holy Spirit was going to be unleashed in the earth through the church. We become the temple. And so that was a paradigm shift, completely different in how or church or worship or the temple, all those things changed overnight in that moment. And ministry happened in the streets rather than in the temple. Not just, well, not rather, but primarily in the streets. Anyone remember part three? It had to do with a challenge. Ah, on the way. Yes, on the way. We talked about that um, when the early church got started, did they just, uh, you know, we, you, we read about that they sold, described many of the things they had, they gave to those in need, and it's kind of like this almost communal existence that's described. You think, do we just all quit all of our jobs, sell everything we have, and, you know, uh, buy some land out under Bishop's Peak and set up a commune? Well, that's a rhetorical question. I'm not actually looking for an answer, because some of you will probably say yes. <laughs> no, I'm... Um, we, th that ministry happens on the way, and we looked at some different uh, um, uh, from one events that happened in the book of Acts where Paul or Peter or the, the apostles were on the way from one place to another, and God used them on the way. And I gave you a, the bold 15 challenge to be available on the way, leaning into people with dignity for everyone, and just asking once a day... Give yourself 15 extra minutes on the way somewhere to be available to bless somebody. Amen. Not necessarily with money. I'm not just saying, it's not a narrow focus of blessing, just to be available to be used by the Lord. Where you're, and recognizing that life and ministry happens on the way. You're already where you're supposed to be. Amen. Just be available to the people around you. And part four had my friend Justin Jacobs come in. Uh, he's a pastor at the Ranch Church in San Inez, and he preached on surviving the storm, um, which is another aspect of character of the early church. They were in a tumultuous times. They had almost no friends in the popular culture or society. Um, they were uh, almost an outcast community in many surviving. And so they encountered a lot of trouble. And we talked about, he, he presented three points of surviving storms that we need a true revelation of who God is 
if we're going to survive the storm. That's the rock that we stand in. We're going to have to be able to shake off the snake bites. We talked about when Paul was shipwrecked, and uh, even after God rescued him from the shipwreck, snakes still bit him while he's trying to build a fire. We have to be able to shake off the small stuff that the enemy tries to do so that we can stay focused on our assignment, and that we have to be able to see and recognize that sometimes our shipwreck turns into a mission. And so that God uses us even in these places like Malta, which means refuge, but in the shipwreck, God used that landing party to bring blessing to the people there. And it said many, many people, not only the king's father, but many people got healed after this shipwreck. And so to be able to see that our shipwreck can become an assignment, can be a place of purpose. And so this is the last place part five of a season to step up, and it is called The Place of Praise. Everyone say that with me. The Place of Praise. It's a real place. And life is a lot better in that place. In quality. So today's lesson is from Acts chapter 16, verses 20 and 21. This is the story, uh, or the part of the story of Paul and Silas. When the mob had brought Paul and Silas before the chief magistrates, they said, these men who are Jews are throwing our city into confusion and causing trouble. They are publicly teaching customs which are unlawful for us as Romans to accept or observe. The crowd also joined in the attack against them. And the chief magistrates tore their arms with the rod off them and ordered that Paul and Silas be beaten with rods. After striking them many times with the rods, they threw them into prison, commanding the jail to guard them securely. He, having received such a strict command, threw them into the inner prison dungeon and fastened their feet to stocks in an agonizing position. Have you ever found yourself in an agonizing position? Just want to set the context here. Were Paul and Silas out there stirring trying to overthrow the Roman magistrates, undermine the leadership of the day? Were they out there trying to stir up a rebellion? No. They were trying to share the good news about Jesus. Not shouting, not yelling not stirring up trouble. They were sharing from house to house, from person to person, from place to place. They're sharing good news. Your sins can be forgiven. You have a heavenly father that loves you. The demon that has possessed you since childhood, Jesus wants to deliver you from that. He was sharing, they were sharing the good news about Jesus. They were preaching the gospel. They were, many times before they had been ridiculed, they'd been attacked, they'd been stoned, they'd been beaten to the point of death at least three times before this event. And I'm talking like guys with big canes raking into their back 30 or 40 times until literally, you know, they were so bruised and ribs broken that they were, it was to the point of death, like, you know, 39 lashings or beatings. And that had happened multiple times. 
Did they stop sharing the good news? Do you think they felt discouraged along the way? Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, but there was something about their character. I mean, we've all been filled with the same Holy Spirit, but there was something about their character where they, and me, the things going on around them differently than you and I would. At least me. I'm speaking for myself. How would you feel if you had been unfairly arrested, wrongfully accused, then unjustly sentenced, cruelly beaten, and then imprisoned in an agonizing position? You think Paul and Silas were hoping from that place in the dungeon to be released the next day? What do you think they were thinking was going to happen? Well, in a Roman prison, you were put in the dungeon as a way of making sure that you didn't escape so you could be publicly executed the next day. And the reason why they weren't stoned or killed right away the night before is because it is much more powerful discouragement to the movement if you are publicly humiliated, the public spectacle of an execution. They were in there with the sole hope of being executed the next day. After all this, and the event that happened that day, there's a girl owned her, had owned her for a long time because she had, she was she was possessed by a demon spirit that allowed her to foretell the future. And so they sold her fortune telling and they profited from it. And at one of these meetings, Paul keeps, he's sharing the good news and he keeps getting distracted by the spirit that's in her that's reacting to Jesus in him. And he keeps saying, you know, she needs to be free, right? She needs to be free. Stop disrupting. She needs to be free. And finally, he goes over and casts the demon out of her, and she's set free. Now, what happens to the guys who own her? Not happy. Their, their place of prosperity, the thing that they had been, I mean, just the, the horrific nature of their, uh, of their career, if you could say, is, is they're, they're selling They're selling this, they own somebody and they're selling what they can do for them. I mean, it's just, it, it's just disgusting. But their way of life had been changed right then and they got mad. And so they, um, they had them arrested. They wrongfully accused them. They were unjustly sentenced. They were cruelly beaten in that. And then they were imprisoned waiting for execution. And the question is, is sitting there in that cell, how would you feel? What would your take be on God's plan. Would you feel abandoned? Left to the dogs? Would you have thought, what did I do wrong to end up here? How did I miss the boat? Where is... What would you have said if another prisoner leaned over and asked you, so where is your God in all this? I don't, 
I don't really know how I would have responded, but I don't think it's yet how Paul and Silas responded. I'll give you an example, um, uh, just a recent story in my life. This is not in compared with Paul and Silas, but you know the, the company that I helped start and helped work in for um, the last 12 years, um, uh, Techtegrity, we grew to about 50 employees, and we recently merged with another company that d- d- does similar things as us out of Santa Barbara. Um, it also had 50 employees, and so now we're just one big happy family of 100 employees, and we merged, and that's also helped kind of give me an off-ramp um, to be here more, and so that's, that's been wonderful, and I've been very grateful to God for that. Um, and the, the CEO, the new city from a combined company who's from this company in Santa Barbara, um, handed me an opportunity from a friend uh, to a large business in the Valley and said, here, Jeff, why don't you see how you do with this? And I've always been kind of the guy that goes after the whales, um, in, in, at Techtegrity in doing, um, you know, high-level strategic consulting um, in, from a technology point, uh, point of view. And so I was excited to kind of show him how good I was, um, just being honest, and uh, uh, um, really demonstrating, you know, that we have our on the line because we're, and, um, you know, I, a lot of my kind of personal reputation, I felt, was on the line because we, you know, we didn't really have a relationship with them. And a lot of the success of the combined company does on how well we can, you know, we can really uh, project our, 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 uh, our <laughs> all this business language, our value proposition in the market. And um, so I went in to this and really, I mean, from my standpoint, did a, an awesome job. I mean, really nailed it. I mean, the, the executive of the other company called me just after their direction a few days. Like, I have, we have learned so much in the time you've been here. Like, we're going to take this other direction. Um, it, it's been amazing. We, we really appreciate how just the learning that we've been able to do, um, like the uh, kind of the, the new things you've opened up for us um, and looking forward to doing business with you. One of my... Uh, Associates, another executive recommended that if we're going to make this big of a change, we should at least get a competitive bid. Okay, so what? A week goes by, they go dark. Get a call. I'm starting to feel all this anxiety. I get a call, and he says, "Well, I wanted to let you know, I, you guys were a ten, but and the other company looked at was was a nine, and you guys are two hundred miles away, and these guys are in the next building over. We just didn't know they were there." So we're going to go with them. And I'm just like, and I know stuff about this other company that at the time I was like, they're making the wrong choice. I've been unfairly judged. And now my reputation and all this other stuff is on the line. And like in the couple weeks, the other things, you know, I've been so focused on that. Everything else is not moving. And there's you mounting. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I heard the Lord say, it would have overwhelmed you. But I wasn't ready to receive it. I was not ready to receive that word. And so I just kind of let it sit and go into the parking lot. And I went back to brooding and scheming and resisting God's counsel. And I wrote emails that I didn't send to this executive to try to undermine the, the kind of this other company getting started with them. And I like, I mean, I was in a bad place wishing that they would fail so that we get to this and do a good job after they failed. I mean, just, and I, I'm, 
you know, I, I get to this point where I know I'm off. I'm in a bad place. And it takes days. And so I go, I go to the, I'm like, Lord, what is going on? And the Lord said, I want you to bless them. Pause it. So I go and I, like, to my prayer closet and I try to open my mouth to bless them. And I can't. Like, the words will not come out of my mouth. I can't bless them. And then as soon as that happens, I realize I need to repent. Because I've put all this stock in all this other stuff. And who's my provider? And I, I just, I mean, it, it just hit me. And I, I, I repented and I just began to praise God. I was like, Lord, I praise you for being my provider. I, sorry, but I ain't for being so small-minded and resistant to your counsel. And I don't know the, the whole story, but I, I don't even know what's going to happen. But I, I praise you, God, for being my provider, for being the one who can see all things, who has my best interest at heart, who loves me unconditionally. I just praise you. And all of a sudden, I felt this weight lift, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord visited me again and said, now I want you to tell them. I want you to share the blessing that you just prayed over them, with them. I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't know who they are. I only know them by reputation. And I'm not even sure that there was a lot of the data points were that good. I don't know whether the, the, the leader of the other company, I don't know whether they're a believer or not. So I write this email and say, you know, I was really hoping to win this opportunity. Um, I thought, you know, and I was really disappointed not to. And I found myself, you know, really wishing that you would fail. And that's bad character. And so I want to let you know that this morning, I prayed for God's blessing on your business. I prayed that you would do well, that you would help this company through this very tumultuous season, that you would be able to get them uh, and open up new realms of prosperity and possibility for them, and that you truly would be a blessing, and then this would be a great thing for you guys and an open door. And I left it at that. And hours go by, don't hear anything. And then later that night, I get a friend request from the other CEO on Facebook. He's, and then we had a talk. Turns out he's a good friend. He is a believer. He's a good friend, and he's been helping to plant active church in San Luis, and he's friends with Adam Magana. And so we had this night, like, and I'm here wishing this guy would fail, and he's helping to plant a church to reach people in my backyard. But we, we get so wrapped up on trying to judge what God's doing based on the immediacy of these variables around us. We cannot see what God's really doing from the big picture. And I got to this point, I just was like, Lord, this is the, like, how could I have been so stupid? You know, I mean, this is the, none of you have been in this spot, I know. Um, and uh, the next day, though, this is what I was not prepared for. The next day, all of the other four deals that we were working on closed in the same day. One for me and one for the three other people that do what I do in the combined company. And I get a message from our CEO. Pardon his language. He says, OMG, I can't ever remember closing this many deals in one day. 
we are going to need a bigger bell to ring. What a day for our team. Nice work, everyone. You know, when we get to a place of praise, not just thanking God for what he does, but I don't know for who he is, it makes a door and he comes in. And I don't know, I can't tell you what he's going to do, but he is going to be who he is. And when he comes in, it's not just you who get blessed, everyone gets blessed. But about midnight when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God in that place, dungeon? <laughs> Could you really sing hymns of praise from a dungeon? I don't know. I, like, honestly, I don't know if I could, but I draw courage from reading that they could. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so powerful that the very foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. It wasn't just Paul and Silas that got out. All the prisoners were set free. And the jail keeper's family got saved to boot. Everyone got saved and rescued. Because Paul and Silas began to praise God for being the jailbreaker, for praising God, for being their savior and their redeemer. For and it made a door and the king of glory came in. Illuminating two truths about what I think the character difference are between Paul and Silas in that moment and me. And if you can look in on me in my judging of my own character, maybe you can draw some strength from it. Praying moved my mentality to reality. See, I was cohabitating with my problem and with my enemy and with the, or my competitor, who I thought was my enemy, who was really a brother in Christ. I'm cohabitating with my problem, reaching out to God and asking him to intervene, except all crap, frame of reference and where I draw my identity is all here and I feel surrounded and trapped with my problem in my head. But is that where I am in reality? In reality... Me up with, Paul says, I know that's small, but what Paul says, and God raised us up. He raised me up with Christ and seated me with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of the grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In reality, I'm seated here and my problem's over there. But my mentality was here. And when I'm here and I'm trying to get God to come over here, I'm frustrated and I'm confused and I'm, I'm discontent because I can smell everything about my problem and everything that all my senses are drawing in all this information from here. And I'm not saying that the problem's any less real, but when I praised him, when I praised him, it moved my mentality, my sensory to reality. The problem's still real, but it's there. And now I'm drawing all my sensory input from Jesus. I'm here. I'm seated in the heavenly realm. And from here, I know that I'm on Jesus' side, and he's my provider. And I can bless 
even those who curse me, because they're over there. And I can, I can pray blessing on my competitor. I can speak in faith to my problem. Because my mentality is now matching reality. And the next thing is that praise in Jesus. You know, in Psalm 24, I have to think that Paul and Silas sang a lot of hymns of praise. They had the hymns of praise, all the hymns memorized. And one of the hymns they probably sung was Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas, established it on the high waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. That's what Jesus did for us. It's not a mountain yet to climb. Jesus climbed the mountain and he raised us up and sat us in this heavenly place. We, through Jesus, have clean hands and a pure heart through him. And we trust in him. We have been seated in the holy place. So there, everything after that is coming from this place. It says they, you and I, will to seek him. blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift king of your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? He is the Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. That, that, that phrase, lift up your heads, it's, it's like, say, praise God. It's just a, a colloquialism. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a phrase like, oh, praise God. Praise God, people. Oh, praise God. Lift up your heads. Get your heads up. Praise him. And we become, it says, you doors. You actually become a door when you praise him for God to come in, the king of glory. And he comes in to do battle. He is. And when we as a church begin to praise him for who he is, not just thank him for the things he's done, but we praise him for who he is. What I'm saying is, is that we are praising him. There are people that have praised him who have not seen breakthrough and that even their kids or their grandkids saw the breakthrough. There are generations of people in our country who praised him and were not free. And generations went by until of the Lord was demonstrated. But that doesn't make him any less who he said he is. He is who he said he is. He just sees things from an eternal perspective. And when we praise him for who he is, it makes a door for him to come in. And when we praise him together, we become a gate for him to come in in a big way to our city, to our church, to our community. We, when we praise him for who he is, it is the heavenly true expression in the earth. When a child of God praises the heavenly father for who he is, because we are declaring that the scales of justice have been righted in Christ Jesus, that the ultimate truth, 
that the ultimate goodness, that everything truly will be made right and has been made right in Christ Jesus. And if I don't see it tomorrow, it will happen. And if I don't see it next month, it will happen. And even if I don't see it in my lifetime, it will happen because he is who he says he is. And he has is the Almighty it to us in Jesus Christ. He is the King of glory. He is the Almighty God. And he comes in to do battle. And so my hope is not in whether I am executed tomorrow from being in the prison. Paul and Silas were praising him because ultimately everything has been made at in Christ Jesus. And they can declare and praise him as the jailbreaker at midnight. When Jesus comes in, all things are possible. All things are possible. And so I just want to end today praising God together as a church. So worship team, can you come back up? And if you are in a place like maybe I was, I have been, where I've been so, I've been cohabitating with my problems so long that all my sensory input is from it. And you need to praise him. We're going to pray for who he is. Let's praise him together. Just a few minutes more. We're going to praise him together. But feel free to come up. Declare in praise that he is who he says he is. That he is our savior and our redeemer. He is our provider and our healer. He is our redeemer, our jailbreaker. He is our justice. He is our righteousness. He is our rear guard. He is the one who's paved the path in front of us. He is the rock that will never fail. He is the he foundation. He is our deliverer. He is. He is.